2: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten
0: by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. welcome to travel medicine as always i'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc dr j
2: hey i'm your crazy er doc who uh just got out of a 5150 hold it's dr ward
1: and now for my intro this is praz the sandman taking away your pain and giving you pleasurable sensations through the radio waves
0: and maybe chemically sedating uh dr ward on that 5150
2: (laughs) still have a needle in my neck
1: <laughs> oh, that! Oh, fifty-one fifty, right?
0: Does everybody know? Is a fifty-fifty is an even odds choice? A fifty-one fifty, a psychiatric hold.
1: It's a law
2: statute in California that allows police officers and certain healthcare professionals to place someone on an involuntary hold. No judgment. Mental health is a uh, real crisis that
1: our country is facing today. Uh, I see. It's never been an issue for Mm -hmm. me because all my patients are in an involuntary hold. Actually, no. They signed a consent. Oh, yeah.
0: That's true. I was about to say involuntary. What kind of anesthesiology are you doing Mm -hmm. over there? I've said too much already. Well, they've all woken up in very comfortable bathtubs full of ice, if that's what you're asking.
1: (laughs) They might miss a kidney here it's there, but, you know, for greater good and whatnot. Well, guys, you know, it's
0: an alternate week, which means it's everybody's favorite bi-monthly episode of Journal Club.
2: Yay! What are we talking about? Are we talking about something fun? Parties?
0: Well, I think it's time we finally cover the opioid crisis.
1: Yes. This is extremely important. It is a very important topic.
0: You know, three highly competent physicians can solve a nationwide crisis in 40 minutes with a bunch of immature jokes. This time, while we will still have a little bit of humor, this week, instead, we're going to focus on first explaining what is the opioid crisis. And then we'll hit the Journal Club articles to see what kind of progress we've made with it. So opioids, I, I hope most of our listeners are familiar, is any compounds that acts on the opiate, opiate receptors in your brain. That can be something as innocuous as loperamide, which helps you when you're having diarrhea. It can slow your bowels, or it can be something as deadly as fentanyl, where something where a dose the size of a grain of rice can kill a full-grown man in a matter of minutes. So there's a wide range of opioid actions, but in the last several years... We've seen an increasing amount of opioid addiction, particularly to pills like Norco, Oxycontin, and Percocet, which are the standard names for medications that uh, we use frequently in healthcare settings.
2: Oh, let me give a plug for um, for the diarrhea medicine. <laughs> it, it, it is an opioid. It is an opioid, technically, uh, and at very high doses, it can affect your opiate receptors in your central nervous system, uh, i.e. your brain. Uh but at therapeutic doses, when you take it as pres- prescribed, um, it's actually supposed to be a peripheral, um peripheral uh gut-mediated effect. So it's not supposed to cause central effects at therapeutic doses. Now you can you can some people out there uh, do take overdoses on purpose to get that overcome that to get into the central nervous system in an abuse situation
1: believe it or not, i also believe that um opioids tend to be or at least some very weak opioids tend to be ingredients in cough syrup and there have been people trying to get high and overdose on cough syrup as well
0: well that's just wrong cough syrup has been the cough syrup and mouthwash have been the province of alcoholics for years the opioid users right. need to stick Stay to their own life. crisis <laughs> they didn't stay in their
2: lane in that one. <laughs>
0: no. um, so first and foremost, one of the steps that the nation and and many hospitals have taken to help combat the opioid crisis is to release a medication to the general public that we've been using for years in the hospital, known as naloxone. So, Doctor Ward, you're you're in the ER. You're probably a lot more familiar with it because if you're handing me somebody who's overdosed, you've already gotten the past the most dangerous bits. And now I just have to address a lot of the organ-related damage from whatever sent them into that. So what happens when somebody comes into the yard? What is naloxone? When are you using it? And why might our home listeners want to pick up a couple to keep handy?
2: Naloxone is a medication that reverses the the effects of opioids on central nervous system. So it temporarily um, pulls these opi- opioids off the receptors. So, in other words, it's an antidote to opioids. Um, it's more than that, unfortunately. It's, it, sometimes, uh, it sometimes does more than just gets you off the high. It actually, it actually makes people who are chronic opioid users um, go to the other side, the opposite of high. What's that? A low, a valley. <laughs> people who have been on opiates for a long time have their have their receptors just soaked and bathed in uh, opiates, so their receptors are used to it so when you put naloxone in these people's systems they they rip those um opiate molecules off and they go into withdrawals they'll put you put you into frank withdrawals. It's
0: like sitting in a hot it's like, like it. sitting in a hot bath for an hour and then stepping out to a brisk winter day in Chicago with no in between
2: on the other hand when someone is Uh, not breathing and in shock because of the overdosed or misused opiates. This, that is a relatively smaller price to pay. So, well, so commonly uh, what we do in the emergency department in critical care set- situations and in, um, well, actually on, on the street is if you find someone or you s- see someone who you suspect um, is suffering from opioid toxicity and opioids do a few things. In addition to f- making us feel, you know, um, less pain and uh, we get a sense of euphoria with it, it's also it slows our, all our systems down so in other words it slows our heart rates down it slows our breathing down and that's probably the most dangerous part about opioids so your oxycodones your heroin your um, good old-fashioned morphine dilaudid when you take too much of it you don't just get the euphoria and the pain-killing effects you can it can slow your breathing down to the point where um where you'll die uh, when you are exposed to when we administer naloxone it temporarily for about usually with one intranasal dosage one squirt up the nose you'll undo it for about 10 20 minutes or so maybe even 30 minutes if you're lucky so it'll re- temporarily reverse that action and with most opioids it's enough to wake the person up get them start breathing again um, at least for those 20 30 minutes there are exceptions we can talk about that later. But uh, when there are super heavy synthetic opioids out there that are that are just one squirt's not going to be enough.
0: So you mentioned that you squirted up the nose, which must be incredibly handy in an emergency setting. Uh, Are there any other ways that naloxone is given? Because I always pictured it as, you know, like the rock where uh, Nicolas Cage just jabs the pen, which, as we've already stated in our movie issue, would not work.
2: <laughs> do not jab it mm-hmm. into yeah, someone's jab heart. Jab. This is a not situation. <laughs> uh no, it's it's also given as an IV uh IV form and uh it's also given you can also give sh- uh, intramuscularly. But uh IV is fairly effective and um but it's difficult for lay people to do and it's you know, waving around a needle in a uh, in a non-medical setting can be problematic. So it does come in an intranasal form.
1: As it um, is, a lot which of are, people which are who use public. Um, IV you narcotics know, chronically or IV drug users. Their veins tend to get destroyed over the years. And so finding a good vein or a good site to inject IV on the street is also very difficult, especially in a patient who could be um, like deteriorating very quickly. Or do you use it with any regularity? Uh, we don't use it often, uh, thankfully. thankfully. It's a much more controlled setting. First of all, when we give the narcotics, we're giving it for a specific purpose, um, in that case, to actually create analgesia for the pain they're going to experience during surgery. So one of the big downsides to giving Narcan is that if we give it, the patient's going to wake up and be in recovery room in quite a bit of pain. And that's something we try to avoid whenever possible. The other thing is that when we have a patient who's might have gotten a little bit too much narcotic or they're having trouble breathing, then we're probably the most controlled setting there is. The patient's already on a ventilator that's already breathing for them. Their vital signs are perfectly stable. So sometimes it just takes a few extra minutes on the vent or just like waiting it out a little bit before they wake up and go from there. So for those reasons we typically don't use it routinely five times or less in a given year I can think of that I've used narcan personally
2: it's really the breathing that kills you the fact that uh, opioids depress your breathing respiratory center and and you stop breathing and when you're in the operating room if they're breathing for you you just breathe right through it but when you're you know in your bedroom or if you're out on the street and or if you're somewhere where there isn't a respirator around. So both of you uh, have you know, the fairly comes.
0: extensive, specific experience with naloxone. Were either of you aware that you can just buy it as a layperson? Not quite over the counter, but that pretty much most pharmacists within the United States are allowed to dispense the drug without an individual prescription.
1: I just started hearing about it recently. like It's a pretty new thing. From what I understand.
2: Yeah, from what I understand, it's it's the opioid crisis. Public awareness of the opioid crisis has more been more so in the last, oh boy, I I would say ten, five, ten yeah, years. Surgeon so
0: General without only announced prescription back has in fairly April recent, of 2018 right? uh, where he issued a public health advisory urging Americans to carry and learn to use the opioid reversing drug naloxone. Some states do require training in how to use it because although it's typically given as a nasal spray, uh, there's also an EpiPen-like automatic injection. But either way, it's relatively simple to use. And the question was, you know, well, where do you get it? How much does it cost? Who should be carrying it around? And why don't more people know about it? Well, more people don't know about it because we're not talking about it. So that's where we're here. To provide this public service to you in the funnest way possible. Woo! That's right, funnest. It's a word, maybe.
2: Well, the, the, before this became, uh, I remember just five, ten years ago, before this, before the we came up with uh, more concrete ways of combating the opiate crisis, there was a debate about whether or not, hey, it is handing out naloxone harm reduction, or is it? Condoning, I don't know, some people would say condoning uh, opiate misuse. And uh, they've, they've actually done some public health studies and they've they've shown that naloxone does not Dr. seem to be an adverse created effect.
0: created the drug in 1961. At least not an obvious and in name. the 70s, hospitals around the country were just begging to have it because it was really the only thing as heroin became the big drug. Nowadays, I think uh, people abuse more prescription opioids or methamphetamine, but you know, heroin was was the go to, and part of the inspiration for Jack Doctor Fishman pushing so hard for the creation and distribution of this drug is, unfortunately, his own son died from a heroin overdose, and that addiction haunted his father and motivates, uh, you know, and motivated Doctor Fishman until his death in 2013.
2: Well, Josh, I'm sorry to say that just uh-huh. like bell-bottoms, heroin is back. Well, no, actually, unlike bell-bottoms, <laughs> unlike bell-bottoms, heroin is back because, just like you said, um, heroin was heroin was the pre- predominant IV drug uh, use of choice uh, a few decades ago. And then people moved away from it because it's incredibly dangerous and you know HIV risks and infectious disease risks and so on and so forth. <laughs> And moved on to prescription opiates, and now that we're cracking Damn down on prescription, some people are going back to heroin because it's more it's more affordable for one, and it's it's more easily obtainable. <laughs> so heroin is
0: back. Damn insurance companies! It's cheaper to get heroin than actual prescriptions.
2: It, well, it's cheaper for probably the right reasons, or I don't want to say right or wrong reasons, but for the reason that these opiates are killing people, so we need to do something about it. But as an unforeseen side effect, people who are already addicted to opiates need their opiate receptors refilled again, and heroin is the easiest way to do that.
1: Do you know about how long this trend has been going? Because I also thought that um, prescription drug abuse was more common than IV heroin. I guess this was a
0: Well, it is, but the difference there is that most prescription drug abusers are not the people to who the drug was originally prescribed. Uh, For many people, you know, they'll take whatever their recommended dose is, and then they'll keep a few if they have a few extra pills they don't use. They toss them into the medicine cabinet, as most folks do. And then later on, someone else will come across it, and they may have legitimate pain, or they may just be raiding the bathroom pantry and decide, oh, I'm going to take a couple of these. And that's where the real danger starts. So you're unlikely to get addicted to prescription medications on the street. Uh, But there are a wide range of opioids to pull you in.
2: You know, I remember when I was a young medical student in Chicago, and I was talking to a one of my patients in a community clinic on the south side of Chicago. And she just told me that, hey, you know what? Whatever medication you prescribe or don't prescribe, I can get this. It's um, about a dollar a milligram. Uh, Uh, And she actually gave me a laundry list of what what each pill was worth. And I, I, it was uh, it shouldn't have been news to me, but uh, it was it was nice to know. She told me that even prednisone had a street value. She was like, oh, I can get this prednisone for five dollars.
1: Really? Who abuses prednisone? Never mind. I don't want to know. Yeah, there's there
0: is effectively an, an underground black market, uh, just as there is with breast milk and other and insulin and things people need um, to live because they can't always afford them. You, ha- you know, if you have to choose between your medications and your rent and buying groceries, that's a real difficult decision. So these little markets spring up. Let's talk about the cost. Let's say you are interested in in naloxone, which is, we also call Narcan. It is a prescription drug, but in most states, people who are either at risk for overdosing or know somebody who is, can get naloxone without a prescription, which is called by standing order, which means the surgeon general wrote a prescription for roughly the entire country that says, if you need naloxone, here's the prescription. You can go get it as opposed to your individual doctor. And the price does vary depending on your insurance plan and whether you want to buy the injectable or the uh, nasal spray Narcan. So a generic naloxone, just a generic nasal dose can cost between $20 to $40, which is very affordable. While a kit that includes two doses, one nasal and one injectable, is around $130 to 100 A little
2: less affordable, but still not prohibitively expensive.
0: And if your insurance covers naloxone, the copay at your local pharmacy oh. could be as low as $0. So the National Institute on Drug Abuse offers a naloxone finder where you can enter your city or zip code and find overdose prevention programs that offer the drug for free. And CVS offers a coupon to many patients, which allow them to get Narcan uh, without insurance, so even if you're not insured, you can get it. And so does Walgreens. So we'll include a few of those links. But it's surprisingly available, uh, almost as available as it is unknown.
1: So I'm curious here. Like they talk about supply and there not being enough naloxone to go around. Lots of times, about how quickly would an average drug user go through like a uh, hundred thirty, hundred forty dollar um, thing worth the Narcan.
0: Well, Ward, You said it takes about thirty minutes for a nasal spray. In in some of the patients that have come to you with overdoses.
2: Oh, I'm glad you mentioned that, Pros. Hopefully, you only need it once because that. Oh, boy, that should be a wake up call if you ever need a naloxone or a Narcan. Um, the 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 purpose of it is is not really to end um, dependence. Or addiction. The purpose of it is literally to save your life for that moment. And it, for anyone who needs to administer nar, uh, Narcan or Naloxone, the second thing you should do is call 911 because the opiates that are available on the street nowadays, like Josh mentioned, fentanyl, which is a, a synthetic opioid that's like 50 times more powerful or 20 times more powerful than morphine. And there are some even more powerful Opioids than fentanyl on the streets. One dose might not do it, and even if it did do it, the half life of naloxone is shorter than some of the opioids. In other words, thirty minutes later, you're back to not breathing, turning blue again. So the first thing you do is administer naloxone, and um, and the second thing you should also do at the same time is nine one one.
0: Yeah. So now that we've kind of addressed a little bit of what Narcan is and where you can find it, let's talk about what we're doing on the science end to help tackle the opioid crisis. And that's that's where we get into the journals. And one of the first things, now this one comes from uh, Eureka Alert, which is uh, released, it's a global science news aggregator. And researchers from the Institute of Berlin, this was released around September of, again, 2018, have computer modeled a new generation of opioid medications designed to laser focus the targets meaning they'll only work at sites affected by injury or inflammation so if you're for example uh suffer a chainsaw injury which is something i saw last week not for the reasons you think it was a a gardener who was uh, you know a home gardener who was trying to cut tree branches on a ladder in winter in chicago
2: oh that's exactly what i imagined <laughs> story orders as as old as time and as old as chicago
0: oh well then yeah so if you end up taking a chainsaw injury to the arm and then get appropriately opioid pain medications for it wave (laughs) of euphoria to your entire newer medications which are still being worked out chemically and organically by these berlin researchers only work at the sites affected by injury which means your arm where you got injured would feel great, but you wouldn't have a mental high off of that. And it does show that these drugs can prevent the occurrence of a lot of the brain and gut related side effects, typically associated with conventional opioids.
1: You know, this is very fascinating to me, honestly. Um, And I'll be honest, I'm very surprised to hear about this. uh, Because classically, when you think about the pain pathway, starting from the site of injury to All the way up to the brain where you perceive the pain Uh, there's different modalities of um, pain sensation different uh, mechanisms by which we feel pain and sensation at the opioid receptors those are they have always classically been taught to be central receptors meaning they're primarily located in the brain and the central nervous system so part of the reason we have the effects is that these receptors are only in the brain and the spine and they really couldn't be Not only are so-
0: they new drugs selective so that they only become active in the presence of inflammatory signals. So when our body suffers an injury, it sends a whole bunch of specialized cells uh, such as cytokines. And, inf- and oh, my gosh, this goes back to biochem. I'm going to forget these. But there's cytokines and a number of other compounds that the blood sends to aid in the healing and if you work your opioid so it only becomes active and releasing of its mu effects when in contact with the inflammation well congratulations you've just made what is likely the first step towards a non-addictive opioid now those were german researchers who focused on computer modeling to give a proof of concept but in a very closely related but different article, which is a new drug from called AT121. Now, the particular study that the Reddit story linked to was in science and translational medicine. This AT121 works on two different receptors at the same time. So the Germans wanted to say your opioids won't activate until all the necessary components arrive. Whereas this team of researchers uh, led by Mei Chuan Ko, a pharmacology professor at Wake Forest University, shows that AT121 acts on mu opioid receptors. Those are the receptors in the brain that traditional painkillers act on. But it also latches onto a second group called nociceptin, which is abbreviated N-O-P, and mu is abbreviated M-O-P. So you have MOP and NOP, or MOP and NOP.
2: So you want mope with nope, but not mope without nope.
0: (laughs) Correct. Because mope with nope, you'll be moping around that you're noping on all of the addictive effects of opioids. That's
2: that's catchy. Well done.
0: So nociceptin or nop, nope, blocks the brain's addiction forming response. Mu receptors are only in the brain and spinal cord, our central nervous system. When they're activated, they trigger that cascade that leads to pain relief like a runner's high. That's the kind of thing that you're feeling. But opioid drugs also work peripherally, and that's what causes the constipation, the decrease in respirations, and some of the other side effects.
2: I was going to say, opioids also are known... Um, to trigger the brain's reward system. It's one of the most basic, basic human functions. It's that reward system that gets activated, that reward system that gets activated through, well, sex, hunger, and, well, believe it, alcohol and drugs. You're talking
1: about the dopaminergic system in the brain?
2: It feeds into the addictive cycle. Well, that makes it really hard.
1: The NOPs, the
0: nociceptin receptors, actually... Are designed by the body to counteract some of the effects of the mu receptors. Crucially, the experience of pleasure that leads to addiction. So, if you take AT 121, you'll get pain relief, but you won't get pleasure out of it, which is vastly different from the existing pain meds we have now. And almost a little bit similar to another compound, naltrexone ward, that basically removes all the pleasure out of. Out of a pain medication for addicts?
2: Uh, well, naltrexone is similar to naloxone. It's a competitive inhibitor where it competes with uh, opioid on opiate receptors.
0: Whereas Narcan you give to reverse an overdose, naltrexone tends to be used similar to methadone and people trying to get themselves off a substance. You take, the, you take the naltrexone and then any of you know the narcotics that you would take are outcompeted. So that really requires some some level of effort saying, I'm going to take this, and that will prevent me from enjoying this other thing I'll take later. But AT-121 lumps both of those in together and says, you're going to get pain relief right now, but you're not going to enjoy it.
2: Well, you'll enjoy it, but it's not that. you'll enjoy the fact that you have less pain.
0: But you won't enjoy the medication. <laughs> itself. You also won't hate it. it you just won't you know what i'm just gonna stop i'm i'm getting away
1: you know this is also just a very new mechanism i think right there's no receptors and their use in clinical medicine in terms of treating addiction and pain is something that i don't know that i've ever even really heard well, of before to be honest I mean,
0: nociceptin which is the transmitter that right. activates them is so specialized right. and specific that no it really wasn't covered in, in our basic education.
2: Yeah, I don't think there are medications that are used nowadays right now that, that use the science yet. It's just that's maybe one of the reasons we don't know that much about it.
0: Yeah, the closest I could think would be medications that are specifically designed to deal with uh, neuropathies or nerve pain frequently seen in diabetics. Those, but those work on inhibitory ones like GABA rather than these nociceptin, the NOPs.
1: That's why I think this is so like groundbreaking right here right now. I mean, we're finding these new mechanisms, we're finding these, and we're finding these new drugs that can act in such different ways. Um, this could really be a game changer in how we treat pain over the next few years.
2: What was I gonna say? Pain is a, is a as we all know, it's a complicated concept. It is not just a chainsaw to the arm, right? We all know that. Um, a lot of things are perceived as pain, and. Part one of the problems I'm sure Josh will do a palm to the face, and I will as well. Is is rating pain on a pain scale zero to ten.
0: Oh, I hate the pain scale.
2: It is the bane of most doctors' ex- existence because you know what? Let me just put an example out to you. Um, I I treated a a woman who w- was doing CPR on her husband because her husband uh, passed away right in front of her. So. How do you ask her what is your pain? If your loved one, your partner for life, passed away right in front of you, sure. Co- coincidentally, she came in for here for chest pain, so her pain scale was not really rateable on that pain scale. Sure, absolutely. But if you, if she, you know, if my loved one or you know someone I loved, I witnessed. You know, passed away right in front of me. My pain scale is probably out of ten, right? But you don't treat that as the same way when I treat. When I say my pain scale is a ten out of ten, if my broken, if I broke my arm, the treatments are different. And sometimes the differences are that obvious. Sometimes they're not that obvious. Sometimes when people come in with the pain of addiction and the pain of depression, the pain of dependence, the pain of many other overactive nerves, well, they feel the pain and it's awful. It's a 10 out of 10, but maybe the treatment just isn't morphine or diluted. The treatment needs to be something else. It needs, people need to be treated. People need their pains relieved, but how do we target that pain is the question. And it's it's great that this new medication or this new company can zero, hone in on the source of pain without hitting other body parts. Without It's kind of like taking a scalpel to the problem rather than a shotgun. Yeah,
1: you know, I do think um, this is a topic that really hits home with me personally. Oh, oh I shouldn't say personally. More so professionally.
0: Personally? Praz, have you picked up heroin again?
2: Cross, have you been have you been pruning brushes with a chainsaw in Chicago again?
1: Hey, those bushes had it coming. Okay, first of all, professionally in our field in anesthesia, um, I, a lot, of big part of my training involves um, treatment of chronic pain, and I spent several months uh, working in a pain clinic in residency. And I mean, what Ward is saying is absolutely true. Like, pain has so many different causes and so many different ways to treat us what person's pain with approaching it from different areas. But the common solution or the easiest solution that so many people have been doing for so long is throwing narcotics at everybody. Like you said, putting a bandage on a scalpel, you know, like treating the symptom, not necessarily treating the cause. And that's a big part of the reason why we're in the situation that we're in right now. I remember prescribing something like two hundred or so pills of Norco per month to some people, uh, post-dating the, the date so to make sure that they couldn't refill things earlier and things like that. It's It was unreal, in
2: all honesty. To take the analogy further, And unlike a Band-Aid that that covers a wound, um, these treatments actually can cause pain. They can cause issues. So one of the problems with um, opioids is that once these receptors get used to the opioids, when you don't get opioids now you get a rebound pain effect and the pain actually goes out of proportion uh, there are people who have been on chronic pain medications on opioids for a long time when little things like just a little wind blowing against <laughs> against your skin or a little a little what you and I would just have a little vomiting diarrhea maybe from a uh, food poisoning they experience that pain just leaps and bounds ahead of what what you and I would feel. And that's, that's part of the problem. It digs you deeper into that pain hole and it's harder for you to dig yourself out.
1: It's a symptom called hyperalgesia, where you feel more pain than normal um, to a given stimulus or become very sensitive to that pain. It's starting to get a little depressing. So I
0: figured I'd pull at least one journal article that talked about the topic, but was also fun.
2: Can that be done?
0: It can be done, but not with morphine. I'm going to have to go to a different drug. Now, as we talked about, heroin was big in the 70s and is making a comeback. But y'all know what drug was huge in the 80s? More heroin. (laughs) Yeah, more heroin. Um, I was looking for the answer cocaine. And now cocaine is another one where we don't really have any medication to treat addiction. At least with opioid addiction, there do exist methadone. Nal- hey. Narcan, now nalox- Naltrexone. There's a whole range of things to address it. It's just about educating people. But if you are hooked on cocaine, as Chappelle says, it's a hell of a drug and there's no real treatment for it. And many who do successfully kick the habit will ultimately relapse with about 5,000 people uh, or 5,000 Americans dying each year from cocaine overdoses. So what is the obvious solution to this problem? Never using cocaine? No, 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 no. Don't be ridiculous. Genetically engineering your skin to prevent oh, course, the of ability course. to form what it. What was I thinking?
2: Skin. Oh, that was going to be my second answer. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I could see you. I could see you about to say that. Uh, so <laughs> in this study, which was also released around the same time, September of 2018 was a big year for drug research. It was a big month for drug research. Ming Shu at the University of Chicago in Illinois has and his colleagues have trialed this therapy in mice where skin cells are taken from the recipients and then equipped in the lab with an extra gene that constantly secretes- Well done, researchers. an enzyme that rapidly destroys cocaine. It's, it's how it, the body breaks it down. The cells are then multiplied into a little clump called an organoid or an organelle. So it's your own skin cells, uh, genetically altered and then clumped together and re-implanted under the recipient's skin, which then means anybody who does cocaine, your skin is constantly producing a substance that breaks it down, so you do not get the high because it's over too fast. So on mice, this prototype worked exactly as intended. Within 20 minutes, six mice with an active implant had completely eliminated a standard dose of cocaine injected directly into their stomachs, a job that took six control mice almost two hours. I would love to know what a standard dose of mouse cocaine is.
1: (laughs) You know, I have to ask though, the skin is so expansive. You can inject the skin under one specific area, but is that say? so is this saying that you had to inject the cocaine in that area where the cells are to actually feel the effect, or can you inject anywhere, or is the entire skin eventually get altered?
2: You roll it up with a tiny little dollar bill.
0: It, you know, I don't know if the entire skin gets altered, because they're working with mice who have very small bodies, but this, the organoid is just injected directly under your skin, okay. so it has Fair access enough. to the bloodstream. In theory, meaning this clump of cells never stops producing anti-cocaine enzymes, Where So when they injected the cocaine directly into the stomach Ah. of the mice, meaning not the bloodstream, but directly into the digestive system to access the bloodstream from a different area, the mice eliminated all cocaine in 20 minutes, even though the, the two sites where the organoid and the cocaine were placed were completely different. And the, the treated mice also didn't get a pleasure hit wow. in the brain. It got broken down long before getting to the brain, which means the mice didn't get that dose, so they didn't go searching for more cocaine in standard tests. And this was a mouse drug paradise. They did, however, seek out alcohol when it was made available to them. So this treatment targets specifically cocaine addiction. It didn't stop the mice from killing themselves with uh, heroin. With alcohol and with tobacco, um, so all the mice survive huge doses of cocaine that kills the control mice. The <laughs>
2: God, that's like a country song. Josh, did they also get into bad relationships?
1: And they have bills to pay and whatnot, and and their dogs
0: abandon them, and their wives, and their houses burned down. <laughs>
2: Okay, at least they didn't have a Coke, um, coke habit. They, have they, to pay. they teamed up with Lady uh, Gaga
0: and helped her achieve stardom in country music. <laughs> How much is a dose of mouse cocaine? The treated animals got 40, okay. um, or 160 milligrams of cocaine per kilogram of body weight. Every single control oh, animal died on... A dose of 120 or 160, and half of the control animals died on the 80 milligram dose. So even if you're not great at converting metric to imperial systems, only mice who had been given this organoid managed to survive all the doses. The other mice went on massive rock star benders. And six months later, the treated mice still have healthy active organoids and can never enjoy cocaine again. So... Dr. Zhu is hoping that this treatment, when transferred over to humans, will be equally long-lasting. And grafts of patients' own skin have been used without complications for decades to treat things like burns and other skin disorders. So the organoids shouldn't be rejected. I wonder if this is a no receptor mechanism. As I think well. in this case, there's no enjoyment because you're producing such high levels of the enzyme the drug breaks down before it can reach a pleasure center. Yeah. Oh, I see. So uh, that's tip. it for the opioid and drug talk, but I figured we'd end on a little bit more of a positive note. So does anybody have a just the tip now that we've talked about all the fun drugs?
1: We'll have a just a tip for you in a couple of weeks when I'll be
0: going to Mexico. Okay, well, then, Praz, I'll share one thing I did, and then let's hear about something you're planning to check out in Mexico. I just got back from Alaska last week where I was during the polar vortex in Chicago. I fled to also warmer climes, slightly. And one of the things we saw up in Alaska was the Northern Lights from the back of a dog sled. It was incredible to see a huge wide range of colors caused by the magnetic atmosphere or the magnetic poles of the earth interacting with the atmosphere. I don't understand all the science mostly cuz i was too busy petting the adorable puppies pulling the sled as we stared up at the sky. Um, but yeah, really great so if you do get a chance to go up, we went to Fairbanks, Alaska, which is a little bit cheaper than Iceland and one of the places also on the also on the globe at the same latitude that allows you to see the northern lights in the arctic Aww. circle. so it's definitely worth checking out and was it cold? yes even by Chicago standards, it was still cold in Alaska, but my Chicago winter wear was more than adequate to the task, provided you're not standing out for five hours in the middle of the night looking at the sun. That's a little bit of extenuating circumstances. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, was it cold? So from the top of the world, or at least up near there, down a little bit closer to the equator, what are you planning to do in Mexico, Pros?
1: So, very different experience than Alaska, absolutely. Um, but um, my wife and I were planning on going down there, spending a week. Um, primarily, we're going to be going between two cities. Well, we spent the first four days in Mexico City, where we're intending to have a very extensive food tour more than anything else drinking native food, drinking Mexican alcohol. Um, and if we have time, maybe checking out some, you know, other stuff, like sightseeing, hiking, things like that. Um, we're very excited because we've heard great things about Mexico. We both love Mexican food, and I'm sure being there like couldn't even compare to anything I've eaten so far in my life. Um, but then we're going to be spending the next four days in Tulum, which is a smaller city just outside of Cancun, which we figured would be Good to go to, um, as opposed to Cancun in the last week of March. Um, so we figured this is more a little bit removed from all the craziness of spring break. And um, we figured it would be nonetheless exciting and give us a chance to relax, enjoy the beaches and you know, celebrate in a little bit more toned down manner. That sounds
0: very, very relaxing. And uh, you'll have to let us know how it works out when you get back.
1: Absolutely. I will fill so you guys that's in. And, um, it for this week, to it.
0: Always, we love to hear your comments, questions and feedback. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally or financially, links to do that are in the show notes, along with any of the sources that were used in researching this week's topic. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. This show is produced by me with a lot of help from all my co-hosts. And until next time, as always... Happy travels.
2: Happy travels. Happy travels.